This is The Rush on the iHeartRadio Talk Network. Hey, welcome back. Mark Tui in for Rush Minaire. The final score of the uh, classic Canada versus Latvia grudge match. Ten to nothing. A whole lot of grudge, apparently. Uh, and that in favor of Canada. Well, interesting to see if they uh, meet up again during the World Junior Hockey Championships, which I know my guests are watching uh, very closely. It is uh, 4.35, and that means it is Smart Speakers time here on The Rush. Uh, joining us today, Faye Johnstone is co-owner and executive director of consulting firm Wisdom to Action, and Deb Hutton, former senior advisor to two premiers, now a communications advisor and a regular uh, voice hosting shows right here on News Talk 10. Deb, are you watching the uh, the junior hockey? Well, you know, Mark, we usually do. I, I was in the car and heard you say that that you're surprised that most households have it on. We do usually, but I was I was in a different contact sport today. I took the girls to the mall. Oh, that's uh, full contact. Any penalties? full contact? Yeah. I'm sorry. Any penalties? <laughs> I don't know. I'm pretty good with my elbows up. Because uh, that was the other thing of note, because uh, I'm looking at a, 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 a summary of the game, and there were for every uh, point, there seemed to be a penalty or two, uh, you know, and a couple of goaltender changes on the Latvian side. Um, are you uh, uh, grateful or exhausted? Uh, Canadians, uh, according to an Angus Reid study, are evenly split. 37%, uh, Deb Hutton will stay with you, uh, say that uh, 2023 exhausted them. Uh, but an equal amount, 37%, felt that they were very grateful at the end of the year. I don't know whether that means they thought it could have been worse or they thought that it was better than expected. But how would you describe your 2023? You know, as I get older, I think I, I'm more on the grateful side than I was when I was younger and still thinking of all the things I needed to do and wanted to do and wanted to have and all of that. I just a little more mellow about life generally. Um, we had a couple of bad years where we lost parents, my, my mom and dad and my husband's uh, father. And so, you know, we're, we're much more focused on family and what we have now having been through those years. So I'm pretty grateful. Uh, we're going to stick with you because uh, we're having trouble connecting with Faye Johnstone. But uh, I was talking with Brett House about the economy, and there's an article, I think we shared it with you, about uh, suggesting that Canadians don't really care about the economy, they care about all the government policy. I asked Brett House, and he kind of pointed out it's kind of one and the same in the minds of most people. And my grudge, which I kind of just vented in the past segment, was I, I can't remember the last time a government at any level, including the provincial government, which I've been pretty satisfied with, uh, has made a decision that actually made my life better or easier or more affordable or something like that. And I'm really hoping in 2024, somebody somewhere will do that. Uh, I might be in the minority on that, but uh, where do you think Canadians' heads are at looking at government, looking at uh, just trying to make things work for themselves? Is government a help or a hindrance? So I think, uh, I mean, you and I have a, a different political bent than some, I, I think, Mark. And so I think many, many people look to government to fix anything that's wrong with their lives. And that's just not a philosophy that I always share. In fact, I think government should be the last resort when it comes to so many things that actually have a day-to-day -day impact on our lives. The one thing I'll say about government, though, is that they don't do a good job, I don't think at any level, of saying to people, if we don't have a strong economy, 
We don't have people paying taxes and we don't have money for health and education because that really is, in my view, the sort of narrative of government and how government ultimately impacts me. The basics that government should provide safe streets, the roads themselves, health, education and a thriving economy. But you don't get the first four if you don't have the latter. I think that makes sense. Uh, But we seem to have governments that are much more interested in banning straws and, uh, you know, take home plastic bags than focusing on anything that would better the economy. Nobody's talking about, uh, you know, big issues like uh, productivity and investment in the business sector and the fact that government policies at multiple levels deter that. But you can also talk, though, in very basic terms about jobs. And and I will say, even though it didn't have an impact on my life, it might for my kids going forward. And that was the decision by the provincial government, the Ford government, to really focus on skills trades, for example, and talking about jobs that that put you know, food on the table that that are good, solid, well-paying jobs and a focus on that, for example. So, like, there are things that are happening from a government policy perspective that, that aren't in the, you know, tell me how many plastic forks I can have and how many plastic bags I can have and how much they're going to cost me perspective. There are some tangibles, but too often governments right now, as I said, are in the business of, of just, you know, shoving cash out the door without saying, hey, let's focus on the strong economy because without it, we can't do anything. Talking with uh, Deb Hutton, former senior advisor to two premiers and communications director, a regular and welcome voice on News Talk uh, 1010. There's uh, a piece by Donald Savoy in the uh, Globe and Mail, Deb, talking about the federal public service. And if we park the... the pol- He talks a little bit about the political influence on the public service, but I, I think he unearths a point that is important. And that is, I think, I saw it at the City of Toronto. We had a great civil service at the City of Toronto, but it also was cumbersome and afraid of making changes. I worked as a consultant with public servants and political uh, folks in the provincial government and saw the same thing. The civil service was this inert mass, and it just doesn't do... It seems post-COVID, it's forgotten how to do what its job is. And some of that probably has a political origin in terms of the way we manage the civil service. But there seems to be a lack of people leading the civil service at the high non-political ranks that recognize there is a problem. Or is all of this just sort of a partisan shot at the governments of the day? Well, it isn't for me, because I think the civil service, I don't care what level you're talking about, is a disaster. First and foremost, there is nobody in, in my children's orbit, nobody in my, in my peer group's kids' orbit that think that going into the civil service, the professional, respected at one time public service, is a worthy career. It is now a easy job in most people's minds that give you a pension that most people never get, that are, is very defined in terms of the number of hours you work, very union mentality. And that is what it has become over, I'll say, the last, I don't know, 20 years from my perspective. And I don't know if we're ever going to get back to that point where you had the old civil service um, mandarins that you and I would have learned about in in university and high school, Mark. But surely to goodness, there's a better version than what we've got. So that's my first complaint, that we we don't expect professionalism in the civil service. So why would anyone want to go in at the management level and lead it? The second problem I have with civil service is that it I always referred to it when back when I was in government as sort of that the pushing the boulder up the hill. 
So you can push and push and push and push and you get it up the hill. But if you take even one hand off that boulder, it comes rolling back down. And that is my view of what political governments have had to do with the civil service. You have to keep moving and moving and moving and moving and moving. And the minute you look away, it, it, for whatever reason, as an as an entity, as an organization, it is not capable of continuing to, to move itself forward. It rolls back into bad habits. And that's the size of it. That's the, the work ethic. That is the quality. Like there's there's nothing positive in my view about the civil service as an entity. Lots of good people, lots of good work. But overall, it is an embarrassment at all levels of government. Is there any hope for it to get better? Well, part of the issue is I think we've also, to get to the political side, I could go on about this for hours, Mark, but I think we've, <laughs> we've lost the notion of ministerial, before the break. <laughs> ministerial responsibility and accountability, particularly, and this is where I will be partisan, at the federal level. I think the Trudeau government has been terrible about the notion of ministerial responsibility and, and you know, the buck stops with the minister. I think they've been a disaster. And you have to bring that back, starting with the prime minister, starting with the premier, starting with the mayor and running right through the system. And I suppose you need a new prime minister to do that because this one's got his own sort of challenges and kind of dodged the bullet a few times. I'm talking with Deb Hutton. It's part of our smart speakers uh, panel. We'll be back in just a moment and we will tackle the new plan to keep Nazis out of the House of Commons. Surely to goodness it can't be a detailed, complicated plan, can it? We'll find out when the rush returns. Hey, welcome back. Mark Tui in for Rushman. We're in the middle of our Smart Speakers segment with Deb Hutton, former senior advisor to two Ontario premiers and now a communication advisor and a regular uh, guest host and frequent panelist here on News Talk uh, 1010. Deb, it's never going to happen again. Not if the Speaker of the House of Commons, Greg Fergus, has anything to say about it, and one would think that he does. Apparently, he is circulating amongst uh, the House leaders of all the parties in the House of Commons a new plan to prevent a recurrence of the Nazi applause scandal when the uh, entire House was uh, uh, directed in their attention while Ukrainian President Zelensky was here giving a speech to, uh, I think it was the a joint session of the House and the Senate, if I'm not mistaken, I might be. Uh, but in any case, uh, after he spoke, uh, a man was singled out in the visitor's gallery, he stood up for a round of applause from, all, I think every MP of all political stripes stood up because that's pretty much what they're conditioned to do, is stand up and applaud when somebody points out a notable. And uh, the gentleman, of course, had served with a Nazi unit in the Second World War that was fighting the Russians in Ukraine. Uh, but now we have a plan. We can't see the plan, uh, but it's being circulated, draft guidelines that would prevent something uh, from happening like that again. Would it require more effort, do you think, Deb Hutton, than just a little survey for, for potential guests? Like, you know, please tick the appropriate box. Are you now or were you ever a Nazi? How complicated yeah, does this I mean, need this to be? Is... The, the, but this is what governments do, Mark, as you well know, when when there's a problem, then, you know, we need to just throw everything at it and try and fix everything. And and all that is required here is a little common sense. Like we, we have been successfully inviting guests into the House of Commons, into the Senate, into Queen's Park, into the council chamber at City Hall for a long time. And every so often there's a security problem, you know, so some protesters get in and they have to take them out. And every so often. 
enough and there's there's somebody who wants to you know say that they're they are who they are but they really just want to make a point and 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 that happens but this particular case i i don't know how you make a rule around stupidity I mean, it was a stupid thing to do, and you're never going to fix that no matter how many rules you put in place. The most important thing to me in our in our democratic institutions is to ensure that there is physical safety, that our, we do not have a place where politicians, duly elected individuals, are afraid to go. That is the single most important thing. And I worry, quite frankly, if we head down this path of, you know, you called it a survey, whatever it looks like, that we're going to have our eye on that ball as opposed to the really important one, which is we don't get somebody into our House of Commons as has happened and there's a weapon involved. That is, for me, the single most important thing. And by doing that, making sure that most of us can still sit in on our places of democracy, because it's a really great thing for adults and kids alike. Yeah. And it's uh, and there was, you know, no physical threat to the security of anybody in the House of Commons at the time. So they, they got that right, at least on this instance. Uh, but maybe, could it be as simple, Deb Hutton, as this was a case where there was a joint session. They were there. Uh, it was an honor to the president of Ukraine to be able to address the Canadian uh, parliament. And why would you ever want to take the spotlight off your guest of honor by singling out somebody in the gallery, no matter whom they were? Maybe it's as simple as sort of saying, when you have a special guest come to speak to Parliament, you don't share the limelight with anybody. You just let it go, because this guy could have sat quietly in the gallery and been recognized by those people who liked him and completely ignored by everybody else who couldn't tell you who he was. Sure. And if that's the simple rule that that comes out, okay. But imagine if he actually had been a reputable uh, veteran that was, uh, you know, a, a positive when it came to Zelensky. Like, why would that be wrong to recognize that individual? Yeah. Or maybe you had, you know, the, the Canadian-Ukrainian president of fill-in-the-blank, you know, the, the most aggressive in Ukrainian support during this last conflict in the in the uh, parliament. Why, why couldn't you recognize he or she? Like, I, again, it, it's that should never have happened. The Speaker of the House, quite rightly, was just plain stupid and showed poor judgment. Well, and I think it was a little bit of trying to share some of that spotlight because this person was from his writing. And so he wanted to yeah, kind of exactly. bask a little bit in the reflected glow. And that came up to bite him in the you know where. Um, speaking of that, a gentleman had a very unfortunate trip to Home Depot some time ago. I think it was in the news uh, a couple of weeks back, but it's back in the news in a Rosie DeMano column, I think, uh, about a guy who went to Home Depot on a Saturday. All he wanted to do was return a faucet that he had purchased for some uh, renovations he was doing in his house and pick up a new lock for his front door. Went there, uh, returned the faucet, uh, bought the, uh, the hardware for his door, was on his way back to the car when two uh, who, uh, gentlemen who claimed to be sort of plainclothes security guards uh, uh, caught up to him and alleged that he had uh, taken a pair of pliers. He said he didn't. He asked them for ID. They didn't show it. They tried to block him from leaving 
leaving the parking lot. He managed to avoid them and drove home anyway, where he was met shortly thereafter by four York Region police officers at his door. All of this to say he was uh, charged with uh, or arrested, uh, charged with theft, only to be unarrested and uncharged a few hours later when the police told him that Home Depot had uh, dropped the charges against him. He's uh, mortified because his neighbors saw him. Uh, I, I think that he didn't he had he was in every right not to show the security guards what was in his bags but it all seems to me like a little civility on his part and the other the the security people's part would have prevented a mess that didn't need to happen in the first place you know mark this is one of those where you think i feel like we're not being told everything by somebody because this just seems um on all parts as you say to be overkill the notion that you have theft protection people or security guards uh, who don't have identification or aren't willing to show identification is just ridiculous on the part of Home Depot and on the part of the private security company. So there's there's Home Depot who hasn't done the right thing and the private security company didn't act the right way. The guy tried to, you know, was quite rightly not shown any ID. I would have done the same thing, even if it was two big burly guys. It would have been like, I didn't take anything. I don't know who you are. You're making me uncomfortable and go to my car very quickly. That's how I would have reacted. Then we've got four York Region police officers. I would have killed to have four Toronto police officers at my door when my car got stolen, not a $100 wrench or a $50 wrench or whatever it was, pliers that he was alleged to have stolen. Like I, I Surely, to goodness, we have more important things for many of our police officers than to send four people to a door for a petty theft. And I'm not pretending, I don't think that we should you know, crack down on the small things, but again, it feels like something... Something hasn't surfaced to explain this sort of what I see as comedy of errors. And then for him to go back to Home Depot twice, the individual, and I get it. My God, I'd be so embarrassed in front of my neighbors to have gone through this. But for him to go back to Home Depot twice looking for an apology also doesn't seem like the right way to handle things. Yeah, it seems to me like I I think he was within his rights with everything he did. But if he had said, hey, look in the bag, there's nothing there probably would have solved the problem at the get-go. But we're going to talk about this again with Mark Mendelson later in the program. Deb Hutton, thanks for joining us on Smart Speakers today. I appreciate it. No problem, Mark. Have a great afternoon. Deb Hutton, former senior advisor to two premiers, now a communications advisor, and she'll be hosting this show, I think, some days next week or the week thereafter. Regular host here on News Talk 1010. You're listening to The Rush on the iHeartRadio Talk Network.